Welcome to the Jeff Knows Inc. Show with your host, Jeff Lopes, where we bring you the world's top athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, influencers, and their journeys to success. We are live. We are live on the Jeff Knows Inc. Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Lopes. Super excited to have on today, Matt Brown. What is up, brother? Oh, everything's up, man. We're on the up and up. Everything's going good. <laughs> this is awesome. This is going to be a fun conversation. I, usually when I when I bring on guests, I don't really do any research on their background. I wanted more to be as, as natural of a conversation as possible. About an hour ago, I, I just literally went on Wikipedia and I was like, there was little things I was reading about your upbringing, stuff like that, that I had no clue of. I knew you as a UFC fighter. I knew known, like how badass, how tough you are and everything you've done with your 13 knockouts. But it's so crazy, your upbringing and all that. So let's, I want to get into how you got into martial arts, but also your, your, how you got your nickname. There's so many stories there. So to start off with Matt Brown, where'd you grow up in? Do you have any siblings? Like, how was childhood? I grew up in a town no one's ever heard of. Uh, last time I looked on Wikipedia, it had a population of 200. So wow. no one's ever heard of it. It's in the middle of nowhere, about two hours from the nearest like big city. You know, there's like smaller cities, you know, that are closer, but uh, about two hours from the largest city, um, had two brothers and, it, but it was nice, you know, like I was in the middle of the three, but um, th- there's a lot about it that was kind of cool, man, that I kind of missed where, you know, you just go out in the morning and do what you want to do all day. And then you got to, you know, mom tell you be home by the time the sun goes down or uh, by the time the streetlights would come on. That, that was the rule of the streetlights. Um, you kind of just do whatever you want, man, and just hang out. You know, we kind of knew all the neighbors, all the neighbors knew us. And, um, you know, it was very, uh, how, how would you say it? Like, like the neighbors would punish me, you know, like if I got in trouble, right? Like they, they see me do something wrong. They'd be like, go home. And, you know, I'm going to tell your mom to grab you, you know? So it was like, it was, it was, very, it, was it was a very tight community. Yeah. Very tight knit and very, um, you know, very conservative, very down home. Um, yeah. So it was pretty cool, man. There was a lot of good about it. Um, and then there was the bad about it too, where, uh, at least for people like me, I think most of us grew up kind of assuming that, you know, this is where we're going to be for the rest of our lives. Right. Uh, most people like my dad owned a business. He, he owned a machine shop. Uh, my uncle's owned businesses. One, one did a horseshoe type stuff or stuff for horses when i'm on a welding shop and i think most of us kind of grew up kind of thinking like this is what we're going to do for the rest of our lives whatever our parents did we're going to do the same thing a lot of farmers and stuff like that and for me that wasn't enough for me i, I was much more ambitious but I always felt trapped there like because I, I knew that this wasn't the life for me but at the same time um i didn't really know how to get out and i think that yeah. was kind of what turned me towards drugs and partying and you know i just wanted to experiment and do something crazy. I didn't want to live that kind of conservative down home, you know, come home to your wife and family after your nine to five every day and yeah. work all day and all that shit. Um, uh, had a very entrepreneurial spirit from, uh, from the youth and, um, you know, love grinding and working hard. So, uh, I think I kind of carried a lot of that energy into the parting and that was what led to the overdose, which led to my nickname which we can get into also if you want, but um, I think that was, you know, that lack of direction. And then eventually I found the martial arts and found the direction in my life that I wanted to pursue. And that gave me 
uh, everything uh, that I've ever had, man. The, the martial arts is what saved my life. The martial arts is what created me as a person. Um, and it was a, the best thing ever happened to me. And I've said it for many years now. Like I married the sport and I'm a martial artist for life and I'm going to die on those mats one day. So listen, let's get, I'm going to dive into the quickly behind there, a little backstory there. So you see that a lot. I mean, you see that a lot with small towns, even in Canada. You get a small town, kids, um, or outdoors a lot. They're very mischievous. They're they're they don't have a lot to do. And drugs play a big part. These small towns, drugs are usually a higher part. Uh, pregnancy and young young women are are a higher rate because there's not a lot to do, and they get themselves in trouble, right? So, a small town like that, like you wouldn't. I mean, from the outside, you think a small wholesome town like that, you wouldn't think drugs getting into it. And hardcore drugs, you bet your weed or whatever, but hardcore drugs. When did you and start diving into the hardcore stuff. Cause I was just reading like heroin and, and like, that's some hardcore shit. Like when, when did you start diving into how, what period of age were you from when to when till, till you had that, that almost overdose? Uh, it was right at uh right after high school. Yeah, again, just, you know, no direction. And, you know, I didn't want to be, um, you know, I didn't want to take over my dad's shop. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I didn't want to, um, live the life that those people were living. You know, I wanted to get to the big city and my only exposure to the big city was the drug dealers. Right. So that's where we would have to go to like Dayton or Xenia, which to me was a really big city, even though it was just kind of a average, you know, small yeah. city. But to me, that was the big city and that was my exposure to it. That's how I could get there. And did that lead to when you getting to martial arts, how did, how did you, push from that direction to martial arts was it something where you used to get in a lot of fights and then it kind of led into yeah. that direction it did huh so that's something did you were yeah. you ever in trouble with the law yeah great question yes yeah, so, uh, uh yeah i was in trouble with the law a lot i actually um just went over my record not too long ago because um, i'm considering being a firefighter and they they do a lot of personal history so i had to go find all of my personal history and i filled up about two full pages of wow of, of criminal acts you know <laughs> uh, they're all like small stuff you know misdemeanors like yeah. you know a lot of drinking and weed and um you know small things like that nothing major but um anyway i forget where i was going with that but yeah you know the um the, it, it turned to martial arts because I got really fucking lucky, to be honest. So in this small town, there was one guy that, that he was sort of like, like that, I don't know, like, like fake, uh, uh, sensei type guy. Right? <laughs> the you know, ones, the was, ones that just touch you and you fall over. Yeah. Yeah. One of those guys <laughs> kind of right. And, but he exposed me to the martial arts, right? So he showed, he had the VHSs of the UFC and stuff. And we, yeah. I used to love Tank Abbott. That was my dude. I was like, he's one of us, man. Like he's a <laughs> bar brawler, you know? Yeah. And, and, but I remember the, the first one I watched was when he got knocked out by Vitor Belfort. And I was like, I was like, oh, well, you know, he's one of us, but there's more to it than that. Um, so he actually took us to a fight one night and what, what happened there was he was supposed to be fighting. No, his, uh, I'm sorry, his brother or cousin, something like that was supposed to be fighting Wes Sims. If you remember Wes Sims. Yeah. 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 Right, so this is before Wes was in the UFC and he was supposed to be fighting him. Uh, Wes didn't end up showing up that night, but this was literally like before commissions and everything around 2000. And this was like what you'd see in the movies where there was guys uh, smoking cigars, like, you know, betting on the fights and, like literally a movie scene yeah. and the promoter or cage announcer, or whatever 
comes on the mic and he says, Hey, who wants to fight the champion? You know, he's undefeated, blah, blah, blah. And I was, we were doing a lot of coke that night. So I was pretty fired up and I said, I'll fight that son of a bitch. Let's go. So I ran across the street. There was a sporting goods store over there. I went over and bought me a mouthpiece. Um, I borrowed my friend's cup because uh, Wes didn't show up. So he had a cup that I could borrow, which was, you know, in retrospect, maybe not the best idea. There was a restaurant uh, across the street also. So I went there and used their microwave to boil and bite the mouthpiece. Come back, paid 30 bucks, bought that dude about an hour later and beat him. So I thought that I was the baddest dude on the fucking block. Thought, you know, thought the sky's the limit for me. I'm the man. Uh, so we come back maybe, I don't know, two, three months later, you know, every, they're all pumping me up around the town. Like, bro, you're the fucking man. Like you did it, you know? Um, so I'm like, yeah, you know, we go back and, um, I ended up fighting another guy who was actually about to go pro and was like a legit fighter. And he beat the absolute hell out of me, just mauled me to pieces. Um, his compliments to me after the fight was like, like, bro, like I couldn't knock you out, man. You're a tough son of a bitch. You know? <laughs> and I was like, All right. Well, that's great to know, but maybe I should learn how to fight. So I ended up deciding that I really wanted to do this, you know, knowing that this is a real sport and this is something that maybe I do have a little bit of uh, potential for. Um, so I decided okay, I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to quit um, partying, quit everything. My brother happened to live in Columbus, Ohio. He was going to art college here. So he had a place for me to stay. And I called him. I said, look, man, you know, I want to, uh, I think I called him from a pay phone back then. We didn't have cell phones. Yeah, yeah. But I called him and said, man, you know, I want to get out of this. Like, can you help me out? Can I just come stay with you? You know, until I get on my feet a little bit. And um, so I moved up here, found a, a real gym, uh, you know, where there's real pros training. What was the first gym you trained at there? What was the name of it? <laughs> well, it was called Bo Kimley's something or rather he was like a karate guy or something yeah. but these other pros were training out of his gym yeah right so i show up and this was actually uh the hammer house this was mark coleman's shit okay right? okay okay but there, he never had an actual facility right so it was like some of his guys that were just training out of these different places and um he never actually showed up back then but there was a couple guys that i met um one of them was my my current coach dorian price yeah and he's been over to thailand back and forth um, so he was the first one to teach me about Muay Thai uh, that first day that I walked in there. But that, that first day I walked in there, you know, these guys are getting ready for a real show. I think it was a IFL, IFC, something. It was a real show, you know, in an arena. I, I, uh, it was probably the IFL. That was huge. It, with the teams? It, it wasn't the team. That was okay. that came later. This was uh, long before that. I, I don't remember exactly, but a lot of the Militich guys were on it. One of them was fighting one of the Militich guys. Yeah. Um, Lawler was on it, Tim Sylvia. Okay. Um, you know, so this is a big show back yeah. in the day. Um, I think maybe Shogun might have fought on it once or something. Yeah. But e- either way, it was a big show. I-, I could look it up and figure it out. But uh, the point is, you know, these these are real pros, right? So I go in there. And then I that first day, I learned what getting the shit beat out of me really was, right? I thought I got the shit beat out of me in the ring. But the way these guys toyed with me and tossed me around uh, just opened my eyes. Uh, but I loved it to death. And I said, and that day was the the last day that I ever questioned whether I'm going to do this sport for life or not. Like, like I always say that day I married the sport and I said, I'm not looking back. I'm going to do this or I'm going to fucking die trying. How, how old are you then? 23. 
Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG, and we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. And you're 42 now, so you've been out of 20 yep. years almost. Almost 20 years, yep. yeah. Fuck. 42, yeah. and you're still at it. You're just you're just a couple of years younger than me. I'm 46, okay. so you're 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 1980, 81. Yep. But you know what? I think there's a little bit of advantage. Like the fact, a lot of my longevity in the sport, I think, comes from starting a little bit later too. Like I, yeah. I didn't really do athletic stuff in high school that much, so I didn't beat up my body. In high yeah. school, I mean, the drugs and stuff weren't good for it, obviously, yeah. but it wasn't, it wasn't beating up my joints. It wasn't tearing up my back and my neck and all these things. Like a lot of these wrestlers come. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. The injuries yeah. and injuries are tons of injuries, especially you're saying with wrestlers' necks and traps and upper backs and stuff like that. When, yeah, how many, how many amateur fights did you have before you went pro? Um, I had like 16 total, um, counting the kickboxing. Yeah, and when so did you, when you turn pro? How old are you when you turn pro? 24. So it was like a few years later. I think it was. I think it was twenty four. Uh, I want to say, but I mean, I only trained about a year, maybe two years, yeah. um, as an amateur. You know, again, but it was just a different world back then. You know, like hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, there was there was a lot of guys. There was guys. I, I know one guy who who fought for the Hammer House, so to speak, right? Yeah. Uh, quote unquote. Um, this I seen him at three shows: Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Like he literally fought three days in a row. Yeah, like this is just the world we were in back then. Like, yeah, that's how guys would do it. We would just sign up. Like I fought in gas station parking lots. I fought in, you know, uh, bars, you know, like it wasn't always like a big show or anything. Uh, my first kickboxing match was a Sam Shao match. And I didn't yeah. even know what Sam Shao was like, <laughs> like I thought I was doing a kickboxing so match. So in a sense, like a full actual ring where you could fall off. Yeah. 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 Yeah, have you ever seen Sam Shao? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so yeah, you know what yeah. it is, right? So, yeah. so they, I didn't even know that there was um, the takedowns involved. My yeah. dude told me he's like, "Yeah, hey, it's a kickboxing match, you know, be ready." Uh, so I'm just kickboxing, and the guy comes out. I actually just found this VHS recently. I need to post this thing. I need to figure out how to <laughs> pull it off there and post it or something to save it digitally. He comes out, takes me down. I'm looking at the ref like, "What the fuck is this, bro? Like, what, <laughs> this isn't MMA." And so I think, okay, well, I'm like, okay, well, I guess we're wrestling. So I drop my hands and kind of get in a wrestling stance. He fucking kicks me in my head. And I'm, like, I'm like, what are we doing here, bro? That's that's the old that's the old pride days, right? Kicks in the head and fucking like there's no there's the rules are very limited there. So when you're looking at that, just for people to understand, and, and it's still be honest, it's still not pro MMA athletes. I mean, you got a few now that are making crazy, crazy money, but Compared to the other major sports, when there's whether it's NHL, Major League, NFL, you're still not at that comparable level for a pro athlete, giving everything that you can to their yeah. body. When you look at yourself back then, just for the audience to understand, give give our audience an understanding of what you got paid in these fights, these amateur, not even amateur, you can get paid when you turn pro, like these these little fights here or there. You're were you making like 250, 500 bucks a night? Generally, yeah. The the amateur fights, I had to pay for most of those. Like, yeah. I, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah register. Yeah, yeah, pay to register, and you know that's how they would make their money. Um, the pro fights, I think the most I ever made from a pro fight was like a thousand dollars. Yeah, you know, but I didn't care. You know, like and I, I tell these amateur or low level pros today, you know, don't fucking worry about the money either. Like, if no, you're it's a passion. Like, yeah, man, if you're in it for the money, like you're in the wrong sport. Yeah. Now, now, once you get to the UFC or you, you know, Bellator, whatever, you know, you build your name, build your brand. Then you can start worrying about the money, but these low level shows, you know, like what, what the fuck? A thousand dollars ain't changing your life, bro. Like, no, go out there and yeah, take the fight, go in there, fight the best you can, get your name out there, get your brand. That's what it's all about is building your name, your brand, getting the experience. And that's sort of, uh, you know, people call it pro. Like it's not really pro at those lower levels, right? It's more like a semi pro type thing. Like technically you're getting paid, but you're not making a living off of it. You're not really a pro until you're, doing this full-time in my opinion and i wish they, you know they would kind of figure out a way to make that more more known you know there's gotta um, there's gotta be there's gotta be better feeder leagues i mean you know if you look at every pro league there's a, there's always a feeder league that yeah. you're, you're making money and it's a completely associated with that league where it's like this is the minors here's the big show yes you're getting paid at a certain level there's a certain level of of insurance and for your family there's got to be something where it changes in a way but it's 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 hard when there's there's only a few big dogs monopolizing the market right it's it's it's, it's not it's it's never going to be easy it's never going to yeah. be easy right and obviously you're you're employed by one so i'm not we're not going to talk about that but it's 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 not going to it's not it's not easy right as as an athlete at your level going in there and 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 coming out and we're going to talk about we're going to talk about after concussions and there's there's a lot of sacrifices you're doing and and your career could be a long career like yours or it could be a very short career you could go in there and one two fights and you're done and i've known that um i don't know if you remember um a canadian boy uh god he was he fought at 170 then he dropped down to 155 and went on a rampage and he was he was pretty much next in line for the title tj grant ring yes, the bell yes, yeah it's yeah, canadian yeah. he was next in line for 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 the title and uh in, in in training just got a concussion that's it never ever fought again in training had a concussion and and you think about it like he finally was going to get his payday going to fight for the title he was going to fight oh god what was his name he ended up i think he's still in bellator he's the guy that fought with a toothpick in his mouth huge legs uh ben henderson yes yes he was gonna fight henderson i think for the title in the ufc and uh concussion and that was it that was it his done career done and I'm like, you, you, you make it at that. You, you had some epic fights. You're on a five fight win streak. You're doing amazing. And then, so it, it, it could end like that very quickly. So when you look at, um, okay, first off, when, when, when was your first call to the UFC? How'd you get that well, call? The, the ultimate fighter. Yeah. Okay. So you did the ultimate fighter 2008. Who else was on that show? Like name wise that are still around. Uh, CB Dalloway, um, oh, Amir okay. Sadala ended up winning the show. Yeah, uh, CB was kind of projected to win the show, but CB yeah. still um, Jesse Taylor, he still fights. I don't know if uh, you might Jesse not, Taylor is that the guy that broke the limo doors? Yeah, window yeah. Or <laughs> yeah he's a I, character, man. He's he's such a cartoon character, <laughs> amazing guy, great friend of mine. Uh, Matt Riddle was on there, he's in like WWE. That guy, now. that guy made it. That yes. guy is fucking set. Yes. Like how the fuck did that guy switch over like that? And he was a, he was a, he was a very talented UFC fighter. Like he had a a lot of potential. And then when I heard he was going to WWE and I was like, what the fuck? How does, 
and he's transitioned like so perfectly good for him. Like he's, he's one of those success stories that is doing really, really well for himself. Who Absolutely. else was down there? And then you're saying the Dalloway. Uh, that was the Doberman, right? His nickname's a Doberman. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Um, who else? Uh, and and the guy that won it, Amir. You said it was Amir that won it. Yeah, Amir Sadala won it. What a, that guy disappeared. He was actually doing okay. He started to really focus on his Muay Thai, and he just disappeared. That was one guy I thought yeah, would be around, yeah, even as a, even as announcer or something, because he had a he was very charismatic the way he talked and had a good look to him. I thought he'd be around even as an announcer. He just disappeared. Yeah, I was good friends with them, and uh, yeah, he disappeared. For, I, I've talked to some of his coaches and stuff. Like, no one knows where he is. I mean, um, I know, like, one coach told me, you know, he he just wanted away from the sport, and, you know, he's still alive and doing well yeah, and everything. Yeah. He didn't, like, die and fall off the planet or anything. But, um, yeah, he just wanted out of the sport. And, um, yeah, that was all it was. That's all yeah. it was, too. He just wanted out. Uh, but another name you might recognize from the show was uh, Mike Dolce. Mike who? Dolce. The Dolce Diet. Yes, 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 yeah. yes, 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 yes. Yeah, another success story. You know, he just went a different route, you know. Yeah, and he's doing extremely well for himself. He's worked with, yeah. he works with a lot of athletes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, worked with Ronda Rousey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. kind of got uh, the most famous and Vitor Belfort. And, yeah, yeah. So yeah. let's talk about your run into the UFC. And it's obviously, it's, it's, there's, there's 13 knockouts. We'll talk about going for 14, but there's been losses too. Let's talk about that part. How do you turn that loss around? Like, how do you clear your head? Like, how long does it take you? This is something I talked to uh, Chad Mendes. And it's like, he, when Chad Mendes, when I had him on, he said, that was one of the hardest things was it wasn't a loss. It was a disappointment for everybody else. He felt like he had everybody else he disappointed along the way, which is crazy. You think about that, that he thought that way. But when you lose, and we'll talk about your victories next, but when you lose, like, Where's the mindset? Like, how do you reset yourself? How do you get yourself going? Is it easy for you? Is it hard for you? Uh, certainly not easy. I mean, it's a uh, it's a fucking terrible thing, man. Like losing sucks. Like it's the worst thing in the world, and you kind of feel like you let people down. Feel like you let yourself down. And I don't think there's ever been a fight where uh, win or lose where you don't think you could have done better. There's something else that you could have done, especially when you lose. You're like, dude, I know that I had it right there. You know, like it was right in the palm of my hands, and I let it go. Um, but for me, um, the way that I've handled that for my whole career and, and part of why it, it never has bothered me as much is, uh, again, the martial arts has saved my life. Um, I, I always say I'm, I'm going to die on the mats one day. I'm a martial artist for life. So I look at every fight as a martial arts competition. And this is just a picture in time of where my journey is on that day. I'm blessed that I get to get paid for it. And I'm blessed that I've put in the time. And, and are thankful for my my uh my work i think that i put in the time and been able to reap some rewards out of this so, you know i get a brand i get uh some uh financial compensation for able to feed my family and shit but ultimately like when i'm out of this sport sport when i'm you know, they call it retired but we, you know when i move on from uh getting paid to do this like i'm still going to be on the mats all, every day i'm still going to be looking to improve myself and that's why I say I'm going to die on those mats. Like I'm married to this shit and this is what I'm going to do my whole life. So I can look at that fight as, okay, that's where I was on that day. Maybe if I would have fought him the day before, I would have kicked his ass, but he kicked my ass that day. Maybe if I would have woke up on a different side of the bed, you know, who knows, right? So yeah. um, I can be, I've learned how to accept it without losing the commitment to the victory. Yeah. 
And so I can accept whatever happens, happens. But from day one, when I accept the fight, I'm committed to victory. And, and I won't accept anything um, less for myself than victory. But if that happens and if that's the way, you know, whatever higher power or God or whatever, or the way fate works out or whatever, that's fine. I can accept that. That's where my martial arts was on that day. Let's go make it better. I love that. I love that. So one thing about you, and I want to ask you this, and, and I've asked a couple other athletes, if you take, for example, um, a major league pitcher, he's on the mound. And if you see like, there's, oh, there's so many movies, you'll see this where the pitcher just zones out and all of a sudden the crowd just quiets down and they're just mm-hmm. focused. When you're in there, um, one thing about you, I mean, I've watched a lot of UFC. I've watched a lot of fights in my time. And you see certain guys who go in there and it's like, they, sometimes they have a fear in their eyes or they just have that, that anxiety. You could tell they're in there. When you're in there, you, you just look like you want to kill somebody. You're looking at a damn serial killer. Like, where is your mind when you get in there? Like, like do you zone everything out? Like get in, I want to get into Matt's mind. Like, are you just angry? Like you just want to hurt the person. Like, where's your mind when you're in there? Cause you just, you look, uh, the only way you can describe it is like, you're, you're in a serial killer mode. Like I'm, I'm, I'm here to defeat you. I'm here to beat the crap out of you. Where's your mindset when you get in there and when the cage closes down? Yeah. So it's like, I was just talking about, it's all about accepting. This is what it is. And if I die in here, that's fine. If he dies, that's fine. Like that's what we're here to do is to try to kill the other guy. And I have to accept that that's the reality of the situation. And that's, and I'm okay with that. And once I'm accepting of that, then I can move on towards being grateful to be in there and, you know, let's have some fun with it. But if you're not accepting of that initial thing, then, you know, you're going to, I think you're going to have problems with that anxiety and fear altogether. And, uh, and that, that's kind of where I go with it. But, you know, I do a lot of uh, self-talk practice and I think that yeah. that's something that is, that is maybe skipped over a lot in this sport is like, like I'll do walkouts. I have a cage at my gym and, and we have, I'll, I'll do walkouts just by myself on Saturday night while everybody else is out partying or hanging out with their family and shit. And, you know, I'll put on my music, my walkout music, and I'll walk out and I'll practice that self-talk over and over again, you know, walk out 20, 30, 40 times. Um, so I, so my mind is already ready for what's going to happen. You've been there already. Exactly. A hundred times. I love and, that. I love that. And I have a specific mantras that I say to myself and it's all about taking control, right? That That's what everything in this game is about. Like what, what outcomes can I control? Everything internal can be controlled. So if I don't practice controlling that, then when it goes in there, you're not going to uh, have control of that unless there's a lot of guys, you know, that are just inherently good at it. Right. So some guys don't need to practice it. They're just naturally good at it. Like John Jones. I, I don't know if he practices that. Like he's probably very good at it naturally and and has that self-belief naturally and you know I, one of the I, things i sorry yeah, i i think i think that's i i think everybody in one way or another has to you always hear and i actually know um i had an interview with a gentleman that was um coach kobe Bryant, and um and he actually talked about how for example kobe Bryant would be in the gym three four times a week doing like basic basic just step side to side and just yes. and visualization like hockey um 
there's a player for uh he's, he's passed away now a hall of famer named Guy Lafleur, and he's a player for the montreal canadians and uh they said he would literally he was back then he was a smoker like nhl hockey player. nowadays these are pro athletes but this guy used to smoke go to the arena two hours before anybody would show up sit in the stands smoke a pack of cigarettes and visualize the whole game and this is going on 30 years ago so it's it's i think it's i think in one way or another to be at that level you have to be able to put yourself in that situation i love what you said too control the controls but that's something i talk about all the time like a, l- a little two seconds history on myself like don't smoke don't drink super healthy work till five times a week uh, in november i got diagnosed with cancer and my life went upside down i got two kids but i it was november 23 november 24 it was automatic that i just flipped the switch I'm, mentally i'm a very strong person i said control the controllables and i just took action and i my diet my supplements and now knock on one i'm cancer free and i'm doing amazing to the surgery but it's control the controllables and I love you said that because if any of everybody, it doesn't matter what you do in a living, in your life, if you could control the controllables, which is all we could do, and that's all you focus on, everything else will fall in this place. Yes. So and, I, and that, so my, I don't know if you said mentor, idol, whatever is Musashi, right? Like that's the guy that I probably study more than anybody else. And um, all of his stuff is very simple, but it, it goes way, way deeper, just like the art of war, right? It's like very yeah, simple yeah, to read, yeah. but there's so much depth to it, right? So you have to read between the lines. And one of the things that he said that kind of changed my whole life that was very profound for me, literally changed my whole life, was that everything is within, yeah. right? There's, there's nothing outside of yourself that's going to make you bigger, faster, stronger, richer, better. It is all within. Yeah. And that's it goes right to like controlling the controllables you can control everything within you cannot control the without so if you take care of what what's within then what's without is going to happen whether you try to change it or not right because you can't control it so again it's about coming to acceptance and that's what i go to first right and that's why like i've literally visualized like myself dying in the cage because i'm like i can now i can accept that this is a real possibility. And now I've kind of gotten away from that as I've gotten older as my kids and everything, because I'm like, I really don't want that to happen. <laughs> um, but back in the day, yeah. it, it caused a lot of problems with relationships and stuff. Like yeah, yeah. my wife would be, would be like, uh, my, my ex-wife now, but at the time she would say, hey, you know, let, we're going to do a vacation after this fight or whatever. And I would say, well, I, I don't really plan on coming back. Like I'm probably dying. You know, I'm not, I'm, I don't, I can't plan the day after I can't plan Sunday. Like Saturday is the last day of my life. And again, it, it I think it makes relationships hard and makes a, uh, a lot of things. It could be a negative thing, but when I walk in that cage, it's a very positive thing. Like this yeah. is it. And I'm accepting that, that this is the end of the life right here. So let's give everything we got and let's see what happens. And, you know, I guess. Have, after ha- having- have you ever had, sorry about it, Have you ever had an opponent like, like hearing that and knowing that coming from you, I mean, that's going to put a scare the shit of somebody going in the cage with you, <laughs> knowing that you're going to, you you don't give a shit if you come out alive or dead, right? So, I mean, right. have you ever had conversation with your opponents before or after the fight about that? I never have. Yeah. I never, never talked to them before. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't have anything to say to them. They're my enemy. And um, it is, as much as I come across as kind of a mean or, you know, intense guy or whatever, which I can be and and am a lot of the time. Um, I don't, I can also, once I start talking to someone, like become very friendly with them really easy. And I don't want to be friends with the guy. I don't want to like him. I don't want to, I don't want none of that shit. What I want is for him to be 
more robotic, right? I see a human with two arms, two legs, and a head. Yeah. And I have to tear that into pieces through violence. Have you ever had to fight somebody you knew well? I did, yeah. Yeah. Who, who was it? Actually, Amir was the first one time I ever fought someone because we were bunk mates at, at or roommates, I'm sorry, in the Ultimate Fighter house. We were on the same team and we trained together all the time. And then I had to fight him. Um, that was the first one, but probably the the one that was the most consequential was when I fought Mike Pyle. And so he was a he was a late replacement. It was like four or six weeks. He had time trained, but um I was supposed to fight Tiago Alves. Alves pulled out and they called me and they said, Hey, um, uh, you know, you're gonna fight Mike Pyle. And I was like, Well, I don't want to fight Mike Pyle, he's my friend. Like we played video games together online all the time and we'd actually train together a lot and he beat the shit out of me in training. So, yeah. you know, on one hand, I'm like, well, I don't want to fight him. He's my friend. On the other hand, I'm kind of like, well, I don't want to fight him. Cause he also beat the shit out of me. Like he's like a lot better than me. And he taught me a lot of things too. Very talented uh, guy. So, Very so that talented. Was, bro, extremely, extremely talented. No one has any idea. Cause he wasn't as good when the lights came on. Yeah. And I, that was the one thing that, that got me through that. I knew that when the lights came on, uh, you know, I was a performer and he wasn't. And that was actually one of the first times that, with that fight where I was accepting of the outcome. That was a huge revolution for me in that fight because I was like, I know what's going to happen if he comes out and fights me the way that he that, that we trained together. He's going to beat the shit out of me. And like, I'm going to come out with broken orbitals and broken jaws and broken arms. And like, this is going to be a fucking bad night. And I'm going to the hospital. But if I go out there and accept that and I perform at my best, you know, I can't, again, I can't control him, but I can control myself. So if I got control myself, you know, what, what they say, the um, luck favors the brave, right? Or fortune yeah. favors the brave. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So I have to go out there be courageous, be brave, um, step right in front of his face and throw some fucking heat and let's see what happens. And that's what I did. And I ended up beating him uh, pretty quickly. How did I, was that bittersweet after? Like, how did, how did that feel when you got back to the dressing room? Uh, that was tough, man. Like both of us talking to each other. I was like, man, I like you. I hate to do that. <laughs> um, or even like my last fight with Court McGee, uh, like me and him, we'd hung out some, we weren't like close friends, but you know, it's kind of the same thing. Like, um, but again, you know, this is a cutthroat sport, man. It's, it's lions going in there to eat. And, uh, the, the way I look at it, it's like, you know, there, there's a, there's a bag of money outside the cage and, you know, the, the one that walks out is the one that gets it. So. Uh, this is for my fucking family. I'm putting food on the on the table doing this. So um I'm coming for fucking blood, man. Whether it's and it's gonna be you or me. And yeah. sometimes it's sometimes it's them, right? Like I, you know, I've got some losses on my record, but I'm okay with that because I'll come back and um, you know, the next guy's gonna fucking pay for it. You're you're one guy we talk about all the time. And this is way before even you or you're gonna be on the show. Um, the guys, the office, I mean, they're all MMA guys here. And, uh, and there are certain guys you'll see in the UFC and they'll fight once to fight twice. And you're like super talented, but they're cut after three, four fights. Cause this, they might, they may have a two and two record and there's like, you're one guy, you could have the worst record and no one's going to cut you. Cause you're so entertaining. You go there to fight and, and, and like fans want to see that. Like you're, you're what fans pay a ticket to watch, which is pretty amazing. I'm going to ask you one quick question. Um, and I'll tell you why I'm asking you, um, how was your experience in the house? I like, and why I'm asking is 
Um, one of my friends, actually, I, I coach business wise. I coached him, and he's one of my just really become really good friends. Is Elliot Marshall, and yeah, uh, he yeah, was in the UFC, and um, he uh, he says that was the worst experience he ever did. He goes, they could pay him the mat- any money in the world, he would never ever go back to a reality show. How was your experience there? Was it really hard to be in that house with all those guys? And he said, like they 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 put you in situations where they they put a lot of booze and they get guys starting up. They want to get those arguments. Like how hard was it to be in that house for? Is it eight weeks or six weeks? Six weeks. Uh, yeah. I'm friends with Elliot too. He coached me for a little bit. Worked with him. Oh, for a little while. yeah, he's, yeah, a, he's still- incredible. I was I just talked to him. Yeah, two days ago. Two days ago. He's such an incredible guy. Uh, very cool. Yeah, yeah. Me and him are so close. So uh, I fucking loved being in the house personally. You did, <laughs> huh? Yeah, I was like, like no cell phone, uh, no TV, just train, <laughs> get all the free food. I fucking loved it. Now, to be fair, when um, I ended up losing to Amir, who won the show, um, and I broke my ankle in the fight, there was about two weeks left. So now I have a broken ankle. I lost, and now I ha- I can't. Com- there's you know there's nothing to do. So that last couple of weeks suck and. You know, so a lot of the guys had lost. So a lot of them were starting to drink a lot and, uh, you know, fuck up the house and do stupid shit. Um, so in that sense, that part sucked. The first four weeks were fucking amazing. I loved it. That like I, I would go a hundred times because I love just being in that zone where all you're doing is training, eating and sleeping. And that's like a dream come true for me, man. That was now I was single at the time too. If I had kids, that would have been a completely different issue. But uh, I mean, I did have a girlfriend, but you know, it didn't bother me at all. I fucking loved it, man. How how much? I don't, I don't know if you're going to answer this or not because I mean, you might not even know. But how how much how much more do you got into this? How many how many fights do you think you have left in you to give it everything you have? Or are you still right now? You're still feeling like a 25 year old. You're going to go as long as you can. I feel like I still have a lot more in me. Yeah. It's, okay. it's not a question of what I have in me because I have it in me. I got, yeah. I got a lot more in me. I, I think I could probably get to like 50, to be honest. Like, I think I got another 10 years. Um, it's, but it's not a question of, you know, mentally and physically what I have in me. It's more, um, time in the day where my kids are getting older. So they're, they're, how, 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 how old are your children? Um, I have twins that are 12 and a girl that's seven. So, you know, they take a lot of time and energy out of me. Um, you know, I, I do on my own gym now and it's doing well. Um, I got some other things that I'm building, like some online courses and, you know, some educational stuff. And th- that's sort of my, my goal in the se- second half of life is to give back. My first half of life was really like taking in everything. And, you, you know, I, I, I don't consider this sport selfish. Uh, that's, I think that's a, a poor way of looking at it and a poor language to use, uh, but it is more self-centered. And we could talk about that too. I think that's an important thing for young fighters to understand. It's, it's and talk, let's talk about, talk about that. Talk about that. Question. It's only selfish if you make it selfish, right? If you make it all about you, but if you are, if you are um, taking all this stuff to be, to be at your best, then like that's what your children and your family should expect from you is to be at your best. So, so my objective as a a fighter is to show up at my best every single day. And that's not selfish to show up at my best every single day. Now, if I use it now, I could turn it into being selfish and, you know, and, and show up at my best for myself. 
but I can also make it not selfish by showing up at my best, no matter what. And, you know, doing any career, like men are inherently a purpose driven, right? Women are kind of like more emotionally driven and, you know, and that's why they consider it selfish, right? Because now if I am fulfilling my purpose to its fullest, that's, that's not selfish. That's, what a man is supposed to do. And if I'm able to do that to provide for my family and I'm able to do that to show up as the best human being that I can be every day and that's what's providing that for me, then that's not selfish at all. And now if I, again, I can turn it into being selfish if I'm a selfish person. And that's why I always say like, this sport isn't selfish. Selfish people are selfish. Yeah. And there happens to be a lot of selfish people in this sport, but being the best that you can be is not a selfish thing. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. I love and that, it. And that's my opinion. I mean, you know, maybe you have a different opinion or others do. No, but. no, I, I love that. So 13 knockouts, obviously you're going for 14. That's not even a question. I mean, that, that, I mean, I'm hoping it is. I mean, that should put you in, in like eventually the UFC hall of fame. I mean, you've had a crazy long career. Like when you look back at, your god you've been in ufc now for 12 years i'm guessing 13 years 15 years 15 years 2008 and you think of a pro athlete if you have seven good years you've done amazing you've double that and you could triple that which is crazy so when you look at your career um you're obviously leaving everything on the table every time you go out there what's your most memorable fight so far uh, definitely when I fought Eric Silva, cause it was in uh, Cincinnati. I was the main event. You know, he was, uh, there wasn't re- official rankings back then, but he was considered like a top 10 guy and a yeah. huge prospect that was going to be going towards the title and everything. Yeah. And, uh, it was kind of me or him at that time. And, uh, the nice thing. So, um, it was local for me. So with the main event being the main event, my entire family, there's more family there than at my family reunion. So it was. Uh, that, that was just amazing. It turned out to be a great fight. Uh, probably my most, um, epic fight that, I, yeah. that I've had. So that, that played a huge part. The crowd was absolutely fucking crazy. And, uh, my kids got to come into the octagon after being on the main event and everything. Uh, my mom was there and, uh, the celebration was just, uh, massive. So, uh, that kind of turned out to be the best in, in that sense. Uh, my favorite fight was when I fought Robbie Lawler because I think that, uh, me and Lawler just, you know, just made for a great matchup altogether. He's, and a, was, he's a banger and, too. He's such a banger, man. And, yeah. uh, but I've learned more from the Robbie Lawler fight probably than any other fight. Um, just his experience and, and the way that his brain worked and the way that it functioned within the cage was something I'd never experienced before. Like the way that I could re- and uh, the way that I could see that he's taken what I'm doing and processing it and coming back with something different. I was like, I'd never experienced that before. Seriously, like, but, huh? Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you kind of think of him as more of a brawler, right? And I think of him as just a banger, but uh, his intelligence in the cage absolutely blew me away. And I learned so much. And, um, you know, on, on top of that, I, forget, I lost my train of thought there. But yeah, but you're talking just, about Robbie Lawler. I mean, it's just yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. What he taught you is it's crazy because when you think of a guy like that, most people think he's a brawler, like you said. But for his longevity of his career, 
he has to have a different element himself. So I love that you said that because he was, he's obviously, it's so crazy in that speed, in that moment, being able to, I mean, you think you're going there and you're just going to do what your body is trained. You're not going to process and, and, and change your game plan right. as the fight goes on. So it was that something you implied in fights going forward, something you started to yeah. use. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty yeah. Awesome. Again, I, I learned more from that fight than any other fight. And that's where I was going was that the, the last thing that I learned a lot, lot was he was the first guy that I ever hit with everything I got rocked him, knew that, you know, one more hit and he's out. And the guy he didn't smile at me, but, you know, he kind of gave me a little like, like, yeah, you got me, but I'm going to figure that out and you're not going to do it again. You know, and, and it slowed me down a little bit. Cause now I'm thinking like, like, you know, how are you taking that? Cause everybody that I'd fought before when I'd hit him that hard, their uh, their entire mental um uh, processes start shutting down yeah and his yeah. went up which is crazy and that was what really threw me off a lot in that fight and uh, again I, I learned so much from that fight man he he's just a, a brilliant guy and, and you know he doesn't i didn't expect that out of him being we, we did like a whole media tour and everything and you know he never spoke that brilliantly he doesn't speak like profoundly about things no, he doesn't huh? kind of come across like he's a big thinker and all this. Yeah. And, my dude, we're just going to fucking brawl, man. It's going to be all blood. And he's like, no, I'm I'm going to use my ring intelligence and brains to win this fight. And and he did it. And I mean, I, I would argue that I won the fight. You know, I think it was very, very close, very fight. close fight. Very yeah. close fight. Very, yeah, and very I think close. I have a strong argument to make uh, that I won that fight. But, um, you know, either way. But it was a great fight either way. Yeah. Yeah. So Let, let's let's talk about. I mean, concussions. Um, have you ever like sat back and be like, okay, like these fights, I had concussions on these fights, where I haven't had concussions. Like, is this something that you process and think of? Because obviously, I mean, you're young. You're in your forties. You you're hoping to be around for another forty years, fifty years. Like, is this something that you process and think of in the thing, especially the way you fight? your balls to the fucking wall like there's there's no like there's no limit to what you do is there something that you process and think of on a regular basis or something that after the fights you think of like how does this all how, how does this go with 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 your mindset with concussions again i'm, I'm accepting of it right that's where it all starts like okay. i'm accepting that this is part of uh what i've chosen to do and that that is a risk and again it's it's about acceptance first but um, there's only one fight where I had a legitimate diagnosed concussion and I knew that I had a concussion is when I fought Johnny Hendricks and he got a takedown within, I don't know, the first minute or whatever. And it concussed me. And I know, I remember like standing up in between rounds and the whole room spinning. And, and in my head, I'm thinking like, dude, I just, I have to find my corner and, and walk that way. And usually I would pick, you know, of the three images that I see in my corner, I'd pick the center one and just walk there. Right. And, so I knew that I was concussed pretty bad in that fight. And I didn't even, at the time, I didn't really take it that serious. I was like, well, you know, I got concussed in the fight and I'll be good here in a couple of days. But um, what would happen was every time I would sit up, I would experience like a vertigo type thing. And I think uh, one time in the middle of the night, I woke up to go pee and I just fell over and I couldn't find my way back up. And my wife at the time, she was like, you got to do something. You got to go to the hospital. Right? So I went to the hospital Ended up doing the whole old school concussion protocol where you sit in a dark room for 10 days and, um, you know, no bright lights, no noise, all this. And, you know, my kids are downstairs playing. I'm like, this is fucking miserable, man. It's the worst yeah. thing ever. So uh, I went through that and 
and then when I moved out to Denver, when I, I trained with, when I was trained with Elliot, like yeah. there was a concussion doctor out there, Dr. Chad, I can't remember his last name, but um, and he, he gave me real concussion protocols, you know, like the stuff that you're actually supposed to be doing. Um, but yeah, so other than that, I, I don't think I've had a ton of serious concussions. I think that with my fight style, people kind of assume that I probably get hit more yeah. than I do, but um, I haven't been hit a ton, to be honest. Um, and you said that concussion was from a takedown. So it was a bang your head off the mat. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is most of the times like the concussions come in like odd spots. Like I've seen guys get concussions where they're going for a takedown and their head hits the the knee or something like something like yeah. that where their neck snaps back. Right. So it's, it's weird how some of the concussions happen. They're not even from a punch. It's just from the snapping of the exactly. neck. Right. Interesting. Exactly. And I'm actually part of a Cleveland clinic study. I'm going um, July 1st actually to re up on it. And every, I think it's like seven, 800 combat sports athletes that they have in this study. They've been doing it. I, I, I want to say at least like 10 years. I've been going out there uh, every couple of years and we do like cognitive tests. We do like a brain scan, all these different things. And the last time I went, which was a few years back, I think I've missed a few years, but the last time I went, it was pretty fascinating because my scores had actually improved from the first time, which was amazing. And they're like, yeah, you're like in the 1% of people that, you know, their scores improved. And now there's certainly a lot of uh, things that could happen with that, right? Could just be the the day, you know, yeah. like you got better rest that night, you know, a lot of different yeah. things. And that's why it's a long-term study. Uh, but I'm going back again and we'll see where my brain's at now. And, you know, so I do keep track of it good, and I good. do think about it. And when I get hit hard, um, occasionally, you know, in training is probably where you take more shots yeah, than yeah. in the cage, to be honest. Um, if I do feel like I might be concussed, I, I do follow a protocol of a, I'll do a keto diet for about two to three weeks. And, you know, I don't know how great the research actually is on that but i've had some doctors tell me there's good research on it um the the garbage that i've read on the internet says you know you never know what you get on the internet but yeah, yeah there's there seems to be a lot of uh good effects correlating to uh helping for tbi and things like that so it just cleanses your body like i'm i mean since i since november 23 when i found out i had cancer i'm i'm on a i'm on a moderated like i'm pretty lean right now but i'm on a moderated um keto mediterranean diet and, and it's i mean okay. for 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 it's just, there's so much benefits to it right there's so much benefits to it especially if you do it properly i mean you can moderate with like 15 20 carbs in there as long as they're good carbs like like sweet potatoes yams other stuff yeah. but it's um there are there are a lot of benefits a lot a lot of benefits I, i've never heard I've about heard some, i've heard some benefits for cancer where you know it's harder for the cancers to grow and stuff so uh, you've been doing it like for specifically six for i've cancer. been on it i've been on it since november 23rd the day i found out to start the next day i haven't had a cheat day for seven months but if you see pictures nice. of me i, I I'm, I'm shredded i'm 46 years old and i got a six pack like it's it's you, when you eat so clean you just you just you feel like you feel amazing i'm sleeping better i'm eating sure. better you you have more energy you feel better so the diet it, diet is a huge huge fucking part of anything we do right what do you put in your body is a massive part so i never heard about the concussion side of it but it's very interesting i'm gonna look into that but it's so i do I, know, I know there's like, a lot of benefits i know like what they've done some uh mash studies or, or rat studies yeah, or whatever, yeah, yeah. Where, where it did help for tbi and i always like to be careful with anytime i talk about this you know first i'm not a uh, nutritionist. I'm not a scientist. Um, second, 
you know, I don't promote the keto diet for anyone other than for medicinal use, right? Like you're using it for medicinal uses for your cancer. And I'd be using it um, in, in, uh, in spots yeah. for specifically for concussion, whether it actually even helps for the concussion, I don't know for sure, but it's worth a try. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's not a big, I enjoy the diet, so it's pretty easy for me to yeah, do. Yeah, but yeah. I always like to be very careful about that because, you know, people kind of mix your words and start, you know, thinking that you know, you're telling them this is what they need to do when um, I'm, I'm a huge believer that, but not even believer. I mean, it's pretty factual that like, uh, you know, the, a healthy diet means uh, you're in a caloric deficit period, right? Like you could yeah. eat fucking Skittles all day in a caloric deficit and that's going to be a healthy diet, yeah. healthier diet than, you know, a lot of the garbage is spewed out there. So yeah. I always, I always like to preface with that. Anytime I talk about that. Do, do you do, do you fast or intermediate fast at all? No, not only when I do the keto, like just to help get into ketosis faster. Yeah. And yeah get, I, uh, um, I do intermediate you know, fasting. I do I do 16 to 18 hours every day. Nice. Yeah. nice. Yeah. And you just, but your body is so used to it. I give myself a seven, eight, seven hour window to eat, give or take. And you're, and I still have my three meals. I still eat for mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm six to like one seventy, pretty lean right now. And, um, and it's, it's, it, it just works. And, and, and you know what? It's awesome. You know what you look at him at when you're put in a situation where it's like, a life or death situation and then you're, you're you're looking in oncology and doctors and they're like do chemo do this do this and that's all they talk about they don't talk about diet they don't talk about no one finds the root right. cause of the problem so i went sure. on a i went on a mission to find my root cause i went on a mission to find out what the hell happened over the last two to three years that caused this for something that was relatively healthy it has no family history i did genetic testing it's not in my genes like how the fuck did this happen mm. right and um so when i went on that mission i kind of i kind of broke down what happened and, and part of it's like hey you gotta rebuild it rebuild to start from the root cause and to start rebuilding your body up again and and that's where i am right now seven months later and i'm probably i'm cancer free knock on wood and, and i'm feeling incredible right so but i mean it, it could go with anything from like you said from just rebuilding your body your injury or whatever like that right when you're looking yeah, at your and, and i always and I, i'm always again i always try to be really careful about it like uh like i've done intermittent fasting in the past yeah i've done the four hour windows i've done you know uh like a warrior diet type thing where you only eat at nighttime yeah um you know a, a lot of different things i've tried tons of different diets and you know again i'm not an expert but at any time i was gonna if i was gonna tell someone what diet to do um, I always start with, you know, if you're an athlete, first, like you need carbs, right? As an athlete, yeah. I did keto, I did full keto for uh, two camps, actually, you know, because I was on that fucking, you know, reading about it all the time and thinking, you know, this is the thing no one's doing. And I got the fucking secret and it didn't work out so well for me. But the, um, you know, so athletes, I'm, I'm very, very, you know, nutrition is just so much simpler, I think, than people make it out to be, right? Again, you start caloric deficit you're fine. Right. And then after that, it's like, what can you sustain? You know, like what can you do for your entire life? And a lot of these people that do, you know, again, like when you're doing it for like a medical reason, like you are, you know, I think it's completely different than when, you know, that's why I try to be careful about promoting it to uh, normal people because, you know, they'll do keto for a little while and then, and then like, Oh, I lost all this weight. And then they eat regular again. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Overweight again. Right. So that's why any, anytime it comes down to diet, I'm, I always try to make sure that, 
you know, we, we talk very carefully, you know, because yeah, yeah. it's you know, funny because I, I want to do is promote. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's funny because I do, I do, I do, I do posts of like some of the shakes I make and stuff like that, which are super healthy. I mean, I do, I'll do a shake where I, fr- I freeze five shakes on a Sunday and I have them and I take them to work and I defreeze them. And it's literally a carrot, uh, spinach, broccoli, pineapple, blueberries, all organic, half a scoop of protein, half a scoop of hemp seed. But I still, um, when I put the recipe, I still put a disclaimer. Please, please don't take this until you consult your physician because I don't want to get my ass sued. So I put that as a disclaimer with everything I do. So you got to do it. I understand it. So fatherhood, what does fatherhood mean to you? Fatherhood? Yeah. Change it up. Um, So I usually start with, I'm in the business of building responsible, resilient adults. Good. Good. And, and. That's what people ask me, like, do your kids going to fight? And I'm like, well, um, again, I'm in the business of building responsible, resilient adults. If that means that they're going to, if they're going to be responsible, resilient adults and fight, that's good. If they're going to be responsible, resilient adults and be accountants, good. Yeah. But that's, it's not my job to choose what they do. It's not my job to push them into anything. It's my job to build responsible, resilient adults that know how to take care of a woman, that know how to take care of themselves and are able to uh, fulfill their own journey in life and, and fulfill their own uh, self-worth. Yeah, I love That's it. fatherhood to me in a nutshell. I love it. I love it. I love it. So you, I just saw one of your posts and that was one thing I commented. Um, another venture I guess you're getting to now is uh, vacation rentals. Yeah, man. You got to tell me about, you got to give me all the secrets, bro. I'm trying to. I've been doing it for seven, seven and a half, eight years now. I mean, it's incredible income, incredible income. If you do it at the right spot. I mean, my places are all four seasons. So we, we have it at in the summer, there's ski hills and in the winter, they're mountain biking and it's a village and all that stuff. Right. But are all the years in Canada? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Canada. Have you, I mean, assuming you, have you fought in Canada? First off, where you've been in Canada? Yes. Yes. I fought we, we, it. In Montreal or Toronto? Toronto. Okay, that's where we're from, yeah. Toronto. But I, I've been there many, many times. My girlfriend's actually Canadian. She lives Where's in- Where's she uh, from? Hamilton? Hamilton? Yeah. That's like 20 minutes from us. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I there. love it. I, I might be there in a couple of weeks to go visit her. Like, she comes down here. I go up there. Yeah. <laughs> that's very, That's awesome. How did, you, how did you meet her from Hamilton? Uh, online. You know, that's how people meet these days. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. It was it, actually man. during COVID that we met. So, you know, like, no one was- uh, yeah, really going out much. I know Canada was was uber strict about things, so oh. she wasn't able to go out. Oh, buddy, it was it was horrible here, fucking yeah, horrible she, here. Yeah, so she wasn't able to do shit. I you know, I was basically nothing changed in my life really at all, except yeah. the, there was less people on the roads, which was cool. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, other than that, yeah, yeah. So we just we met on there, and then it was pretty intense, man. Like you know, because we talked online for a few weeks, and I'm like, hey, you know, like why don't you just come visit me right and flew her down here and you know that first pickup at the airport's like you know what the fuck are we getting ourselves into is this fucking <laughs> ridiculous you know like are we making a mistake like it's kind of a big thing to do just to you know meet someone but she's amazing and um yeah we've had a great relationship and we're working on getting her down here for good awesome 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 i'm gonna ask you one oh a couple more questions two more questions and I'll let you go but uh 
I see he's making a comeback, which is looking crazy. I love it. Um, I actually talked to Mark. It's funny because we emailed back and forth and he was like, I want to be on your podcast. I'm like, great. And then I never heard from him ever again. He disappeared off the face of the earth. And this That's is cool. like, and that was like, like a few months back. And I'm like, interesting. And then um, now it is, I guess I just saw his post yesterday that uh, he's got a celebrity boxing match. He's, he's doing now. Dude, is he training at your gym? Yeah, mostly. Yeah. He trains at my gym. He's in there like all the time, just punching and hitting the bags <laughs> to, yeah, it's pretty amazing, man. And, you know, a lot of people are going to uh, kind of talk shit about it, right? Because of his age and everything. But he's fighting an older guy. Yeah, and, I, I had and, nothing and, to say with that. I just like, he's, he's a legend. Man. He's a fucking legend. Yeah, he's for one, he's a, yeah, he's a legend and all that. Um, yeah, just to address all those shit talkers real quick, you know, the look, the, the fact is I've known him for probably about 10 years now. And he's in the best place I've seen him in. When If you've seen him, a few years ago before he went to rehab, you know, like people don't understand the amount of alcohol this guy was able to put down with the pills. And I mean, he was on his deathbed and, and what he was drinking, the amount of drugs and alcohol he was doing would have killed 99% of people like this. You want to talk about the immortal. This is the immortal motherfucker. Like if, if I always say, if he would have take care of himself from day one, he'd live to be 150. I mean, this guy is absolutely amazing um resilience in his body so the fact that he's doing so well and this is what makes him happy and this is what gives him more drive um you all know, the power to all the power to him all the power to him man let's go let's see it and I, he's I not fighting it. it'd be one thing if he was fighting you know fucking you know jake paul like some young kid or something yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, he's fighting an older guy that, you know, has been through a lot of shit too. And they're going to have fun in there, man. That's what it's all about. I love it. I love it. I love it. But, I mean, it just is that that redemption story. And that's why I wanted him on my podcast is that the redemption story of, of, of sobriety is so, it's so beautiful and so strong and so powerful. Right. And so many people could, his story, if taught right and, 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 and his stories passed right, it could help a lot of people which I think is so, so special too, right? I mean, a lot of people yeah. could look at him and uh, for inspiration, right? At any age that, that you could turn around your life, right? Which is pretty amazing he's doing. And, and I think that's the, the, one of the big key points there, any age. Like he's almost 60 years old. He's 57, I want to say. He's got, he's got the abs coming back in. <laughs> Good got for the him. abs coming back. I mean, we all. I think people a lot of times feel like they're too old to change, right? Like this is it, right? Yeah. Bro. Don't, ex don't accept don't accept it, man. This guy is just, it should be an inspiration to everyone, man. Like what an amazing story that he's had. And it, I can't wait to hear him on your podcast. It is going to be a great one. So quickly, let's get back to the last thing and then we'll end it off. Um, when did your interest for vacation rentals and properties and all like, how did that all start? It just came in your plate or like, how did that all start? He's funny, man. I was actually interested in it probably like when I first heard about Verbo and like, 2010 or 12 yeah. or something like many years ago and kind of never pulled the trigger. Uh, but I did have some long-term rentals before uh, the divorce. And then um, we got divorced. I kind of lost all the real estate and it's just been a rebuild ever since. So um, we had, a, I had a, a good amount of wealth stored in those uh, long-term rentals uh, that all got liquidated. But, um, you know, when I wanted to start getting back into the game, I was like, you know, Airbnb was, was coming up and was big. And I thought, you know, I could go buy some long-term rentals and make, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month and, you know, have most of the value in the equity 
or I could do these Airbnbs and hopefully be able to cash flow a lot more and still get yeah. the equity and all the tax benefits and everything else. So um, it's been a process of learning, right? Because Airbnbs certainly has a much steeper learning curve and there's there's a lot more details to it and it's not nearly as passive, right? A lot of fluctuations and a lot of things to deal with. Um, but it's been a lot of fun. I actually, I, I've trained my mom to be the manager and the operator. Yeah. So now she's making a little bit of income on it. And uh, it's a little spot for me and my family to go hang out. That's why I bought one in Gatlinburg. I'm, I'm sure you know the- Yeah, 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 yeah. It's about one there because my family loves going down there all the time. So, and then the second one was there, that Texas property, which I love going down there and hanging on the beach. So um, it, it just works out in so many uh, different uh, ways. That it's just amazing where my family and I can- have places that we already go anyway, but now we got a place to stay, um, you know, on top of just the wealth building, which, you know, I've been in stocks for a long time, you know, just because it's hands off and, you know, but the stocks are fucking garbage, man. Yeah, and I think, yeah. that, you know, when, when you look at all the benefits of the the taxes, the cash flow, the equity, I mean, the, you the, just can't I, I, the equity, I mean, the, the value of properties um, we'll talk off air numbers wise, but I mean, the value of properties, I don't know how it is there, but in Canada, I mean, over a five-year period, I mean, you're, you're five, six, 10 timing Xing on your property value. It's incredible. Properties incredible. that you, we paid a hundred thousand for are now valued at 600,000 properties. You paid 500 are now valued at 2 million in five years, which is, you see that and it's like, holy shit. It almost makes you wish yeah. you invested more when you had the opportunity, right? Absolutely. And uh, but you but but my mindset is I, I just don't see it ever stopping. It might not have that same trajectory, but it's always real estate always goes up. It might take a little longer, it always goes up. Absolutely. Always goes up. And 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 there's and and as you're building up your your equity in the property, especially if you could run it properly, like we run it, God, um, most times all the vacation rentals at high 90% occupancy. And, and why that is, is we, we rent, we use booking.coms, we use the Airbnbs, we, we use all the websites we possibly can to fill them up. And then when they're empty, friends, family, you build a, build an email list and you just liquidate them. So if I have 10 nights open in one of the units, I'll liquidate them. I don't care if somebody's paying 50 bucks a night, 75 bucks a night. To me, it's, that night being empty is, is, is costing money. So I just yeah. liquidate them and just fill them up. And that way we could always, always have bodies in there at all times. Right. And it, it does a little bit more wear and tear to the place, but, but it's it, overall, you make a lot more money. When you look at that, that could, that could project every unit, another two, $3,000 in rent in a month. Right. Which yeah. is what you want. You want to just maximize your rent potential. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Are you using a uh, direct booking also? Yeah, 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 yeah. Direct booking. We do Airbnb. We do booking.com. We do uh, personal through our email list. And um, yeah, we, we have a whole different different avenues. And we just try to capitalize and fill it up as much as we can. To me, um, and, I, and especially where we rent, um, uh, where I have four actual properties all in one area, um, it's, it's more of a higher end area. So when I first went in there, everybody had a certain price point. And they're like, you can't rent for the under this price. And even if it's empty, I'm like, Fuck that shit. I, I want to make money here. I'm here. I'm a, I'm an, I've been an entrepreneur for 27 years. I've been self-employed yes. 27 fucking years. Started when I was 19. And to me, it's just, it's, it's passive income is cash flow. I, I want to make sure that every single month I have between this and this is coming to my account, no matter what my bills are taken care of. And I'm using that build the equity there. So I could purchase more, purchase more at the end of every year. And that's how it works with every property. You know, it is. Now, all of a sudden, you have the equity of two. You start taking that cash flow. You put it into an account. You save it. After 
12 months, 24 months, you have a plot plus an equity, boom, buy another one. And it starts building, yep. building. And you get to the point where we got to the point where it's like every year you could use that and, and flip it onto another one, another one, keep building mm-hmm. up, right? And in the end of the day, I mean, one day when we're not here, I mean, having that, those properties, it's all, it's all for your children too, right? I mean, it, it, you're setting them up for the rest of their lives and, and, and they're set, especially if it's a rental income and if it's set properly, I mean, they're set. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. That's some maybe off air. I'd like to pick yeah, your brain about uh, direct booking because that's the next step that I need to take to keep scaling these properties and making them uh, work better. You know, and like I said, that that's what you know anybody listening needs to understand. Like it is not passive, right? Like it, when you buy an Airbnb, that's something I didn't understand when I did. Like you are buying a business. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Versus like the long term rentals, you know, which I've done before too. And, you know, it's not really a business. Like you just own a property that you're renting out and, you know, there's, there's certainly, you gotta have some business acumen. You gotta be intelligent yeah. about it and everything, but the Airbnb is like, a, it's a, a full on business. And that's why oh, I didn't yeah. have a website. I didn't really understand that when I started. Yeah. It's a full business and it's, and it's, and it's, I mean, it's cleaning staff and it's flipping and it's, and having a, a maintenance person being able to maintain the properties if needed and stuff like that. Cause you're not going to physically be there. Right. So yeah, there's, there's a process to it, but once you streamline everything, like I, I go up to my properties, maybe once every couple of years, like I'm never there because we have our right. own place for the family. So we go up there, like it just runs itself, just runs itself. Nice. Money comes in account. And that, that's where you want to be. Like passive income is, is a massive part of everything we do. Right. Where could our audience get a hold if they want, see you, get you on other podcasts, like give, give, give them all your, your links and all that. Do you have your own website or just, just through social media? Um, I don't have my own website. Um, I'm going to be building it soon because we're okay. going to be building a lot of online courses. Okay. That's sort of the next level. Like I said, my next uh, path in life is to be given back a lot more. And that's the way I can reach the most people through online education. Yeah. Um, you know, um, what I do and what I know the best, which is MMA, all martial arts. Um, so that'll be coming soon, working hard on it now. It's a lot of work, who yeah. would have thought, but everything that's a lot of work, you know, there's a reason why it's a lot of work because it pays off. Um, so we'll be doing that. Um, in the meantime, social media, I, I am the immortal Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, the immortal Matt Brown. Um, and then of course I have my own coffee brand, the immortal coffee.com. Okay, we didn't even talk about that. So I, I saw that when, when did you start that? Let's talk about that for two seconds. When did you start that? Um, I think that was 2019. And yeah, what, 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 where did your, like, it's a business that's a lot of, it's funny because you're seeing a lot more independent brand people starting brands now, but 2014, you, you got your top dogs in that industry. Like what got yeah. you to start doing coffee? Were you just a passionate coffee? It's funny because Elliot Marshall is a passionate coffee guy. Yes. Yeah. I so it, you do. Oh, okay. So when, yeah. when, when, where, where did it all start? Where did that passion start? Actually, Elliot was a part of helping that start. Seriously. Uh, funny enough. So me and him and a couple other guys, we were coaching ultimate fighter with TJ Dillashaw. When he, okay. TJ yeah, was yeah. a coach, we were assistant coaches. He brought us out there. We're all staying out there. And in the mornings, we're waking up to go get coffee. And I'm like, bro, just go get some fucking Starbucks. Like, what are you doing? And they're like, they're searching for the best coffee place around. I'm like, bro, coffee's coffee. Let's just go. They taught me about uh, coffee. It was uh, Elliot and Daryl Christian and TJ were the main guys that all taught me. And I went and we got some real coffee. And I was like, dude, this is fucking tremendous. I got not only is it taste better, like I feel better. It's just 
the whole experience is better. Um, so it just coincidentally, maybe six months, eight months later, uh, my friend, he had a coffee business in Florida and he was sponsoring me and he said he was having some uh, trademark issues and he said, you know, I need to, I'm going to have to get a new name for this. And, and he said, what do you think about the immortal coffee? And I said, dude, I think it has a fucking good ring to it. Let's do it. And yeah, so we just partnered up and ran with it ever since. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So you are, are do you distribute in actual like retail locations? Is it all online? Um, just our gym is the only retail location right now, but um, we do a lot of wholesaling where we, what we do to business, to like to, to actual like restaurants and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's a restaurants and coffee shops and uh, some, we do a little bit of white labeling and then uh, we mainly just sell online though for the actual product itself is our main source of yeah. revenue. Very, 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 very cool. And what's the website for that? Theimmortalcoffee.com. Okay, I'll put that and on all the shows. If you know anything about coffee, it is premium coffee. So, do you do you know everything about anything about uh, how they grade uh, coffee? No, go go tell me. Come okay, me. so so my business partner has taught me about this. So there's three different grades of coffee. There's like 90 and above is premium, and then there's uh, whatever the intermediate is. I, I forget the other names, but there's like. Uh, there's but how, how do they, so how do they how do they grade it? So they actually have coffee tasting, just like wine tasting. Yeah. And again, the name's not not coming to me, what, what they call it when they do the tasting, but there's an actual name for it. And they just sip coffee, you know, out of spoon, whatever. And they do these uh, taste That's awesome. And, you know, there's these expert coffee tasters because apparently coffee is actually the most um, diverse uh, flavor on the planet, like even more so than wine, right? Yeah. And so they do these coffee tastings and they grade it and we only get premium, like 90 and above coffee. So it really is like, I don't, I don't try like to my own horn. Like it is actually like really, really good coffee. You know, if you're looking for, you know, just something to have some caffeine in it, like, you know, there's a million brands out there, but if you want the best caffeine, the best uh, rush and the best flavor, you know, we got you covered at the immortal coffee. Do you guys ship worldwide or just through the U S uh, mostly worldwide. We ship to Canada. Like there's some places, you yeah. know, I guess like we're not shipping to Nigeria and stuff like that, but, um, you know, Australia, Canada, UK, you know, places awesome. like that. Yeah. Awesome. 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 I'll put all everything in the show notes. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll, when we get off, I'll, uh, we'll have a little conversation too quickly, but this has been awesome, brother. I appreciate you coming on. Um, man. Uh, yeah. A great conversation. And, uh, you're, you're building a massive legacy for yourself um as an athlete but i mean i love your entrepreneurial juices because it's so important to have both right because i mean there's a lot more to obviously when you when when you do hang up the gloves to uh building out from the homes to the coffee to your gym to to online courses so you're you're bringing a lot of offers to yourself that are going to give you opportunity to continue to have an amazing career in different sizes and you said give back which would be awesome as well so i appreciate you brother no, thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Great show. And yeah, we'll do it again sometime. We'll do it.